sin is a big deal. When I was eight years old, I got the worst spanking of my entire life. Let me give you some background context here. When I was eight years old, my dad taught me how to mow the lawn, cut the grass, to edge, uh, edge the grass up, to use the weed eater. And some people will probably look at it and say, wow, what a great dad to disciple a young man. And I was like, nah, he's just trying to find a way that he don't have to do that, right? And so he taught me at such a young age how to cut the grass. And uh, man, I, I think today that's still a young age. Like eight years old is still, I don't know if I would trust the eight years old with a lawnmower. I mean, back in my day, I, just, I feel old saying that already. Like, you know, back in my day, we used to cut grass in the snow. I don't know. Um, but when I was eight, I was like, man, this is, this is a hard task. But what, what made it even more hard, more difficult, was, was not the expectation of my dad wanting this done every week, but it was the way he wanted it done. See, because I was young, he was cared so much about my safety. And so every time I cut the grass, I had to wear these boots and these safety glasses, goggles. I hate them. I look like Steve Urkel trying to cut grass. And, I, and so I had to wear that every time. Sin is a big deal. These weren't just average boots. My dad was in the military, and he had these combat boots that were really uncomfortable to wear. They're really heavy. And again, I'm eight years old. If they're heavy on just me being big as I am, eight years old, they were like going up to my knees and I had to try to, like, try to even step it was so difficult. But they took a long time to lace up. I hated the process of cutting grass just because of these things. Sin is a big deal. Well, one day my dad says, hey, son, I need you to go cut the grass. I need to run to the store. It might be a while. I've got some things to take care of. Now, my eight-year-old mind heard, ooh, I don't have to wear the boots and the goggles anymore, right? And so my dad left, and I get the lawnmower. I get all my stuff, and I put on my slippers. Y'all call them flip-flops. In Hawaii, we call them slippers because we just slip them right on. We're simple-minded, okay? And so I get my slippers, and I'm cutting the grass, and I... I either underestimated how long I was going to take cutting the grass or underestimated like how quick his trip was going to be because as I'm finishing up, I see my dad's car in a distance driving down our street. And so I panic. I, 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 I like put all the lawn mowing stuff away. I grab the boots. I put them at the door to make it seem like I used them. I run into the house, run into my room, close the door, and I get my Bible. Some of y'all kind of catch it where I'm going. My dad walks in the house. He knocks on my door. Hey, Chris, hey, what are you doing? Nothing, right? And uh, he's like, hey, and he knocks on the door, and he comes in. He's like, what are you doing? I had my Bible out, and I was like, oh, just reading God's word. You know, just, just looking at how merciful and, and, and gracious our Lord is. I don't know why in my mind I thought, you can't get spanked while you're spending time with Jesus, can you? Like, I didn't know. I was like, that would have been a first for me, like in the presence of God and getting spanked. I don't know. And so I was just like, oh, just nothing. And he goes like this. He goes, hey, did you use the boots when you cut the grass? Huh? <laughs> How many of you guys like, know people like that when you ask them a question? Huh? What are you saying? They're trying to think of a story. Hey, did you cut the grass? Huh? 
And so he's like, he's like, did you use your boots while you cut the grass? And I was, yeah, dad, of course, you, know, you told me to do it. Of course I would do it. And he says, you sure? And it was in that moment that I knew I was caught. And I went from, <laughs> to, I'm sorry, I didn't do it. Like I would just panic. I was like, no, please forgive me. I'm reading God's word. You can't do this now, you know. And uh, the rest is history. It was the worst spanking I ever got in my entire life. Sin is a big deal. Can I be honest just for a little bit? For many years after that incident, I call it an incident. It's just trauma in my mind right now. Many years after that, I had a lot of bitterness and anger towards my dad because of that. A lot of, like, years after. I mean, it wasn't until actually I became a father that I really understood what was happening. So what I didn't, you know, what I didn't think, because I was just like, what's the big deal? What, nothing happened. I didn't get hurt. My feet didn't get chopped off, cut in the grass. Like nothing bad happened. What was the big deal? And the reality is, the reality is I just didn't understand that I, that's not that I disappointed, but I disobeyed my father. I didn't understand. I didn't, I didn't have a good grasp about the weight of my sin and what it does to the heart of my father. See, here's what we need to understand, that if we underestimate the weight of our sin, it underestimates the righteousness of God. Like if we underestimate the weight of our sin, what it does is it underestimates not just the the righteousness of God, but it underestimates the love of God. That if we don't truly understand the value of what our weight of our sin does, then we devalue the attribute of God that calls him just. That if we devalue the weight of our sin, then we devalue what Jesus did on the cross for us. Sin is a big deal. Today, we're going to continue our series in the book of Acts. So you can turn with me to Acts chapter 5. Now, Acts is in the New Testament. It's after the Gospels, after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Romans, Acts, right? <laughs> Acts, sorry, Acts. Uh, uh, Acts, well, I keep getting next, messed up. I get a little dyslexic. Uh, but Acts chapter 5, we've got kind of the first sin recorded in the church of Acts. See, what you need to know is leading up to this moment, we have in the gospel, we have Jesus dying, right? Raised from the grave. Woo, that's awesome. And then he meets with his disciples on, on the Mount of Olives and says, hey, wait for the Holy Spirit. And they wait in the upper room, and we had the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then we got Peter that preaches this bold message, and thousands upon thousands get saved. And they're, they're sharing, breaking the bread, they're selling possessions, you're seeing many wonders and miracles happen in the early church. And then Acts chapter 5, we have the first sin recorded in the early church. I like to look at it as a way that God is protecting his church. So let's look at Acts chapter 5, verse 1. It says this, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, with his wife, sold a possession. Let me stop right there. You're like, what do you get out of that? The first word out of, of Acts chapter 5, verse 1, is the word but. 
And you're like, why is that significant? It's very significant. Because you use that word when you're continuing a sentence, when you're continuing a thought, or you're making some kind of comparison. So to fully understand what's going on in Acts chapter 5, you need to know what's going on in Acts chapter 4. And in the very end of Acts chapter 4, you have a guy named Barnabas. Now, Barnabas is part of this early church, and he gets this land. He sells it. He gets all that proceed, all the profit. He gives it to the apostles. They disperse it to the early church, and everybody is amazed. They're like, wow, that's a lot. That was a pun on words right there because he sold a piece of land. Anyway, uh, he sold a lot. And, and people probably, if we see that in our culture today, if people, if someone has done that, what would happen? Amongst us, we're saying, wow, look what Barnabas did. Man, he, Barnabas is so generous. We might even get to the point where, like, if we're talking to each other, we we'll probably say, man, I want to do what Barnabas did. I want to find some possessions that I can sell and give and share. That, that's not probably what happened in this context. And then you got Ananias and Sapphira that sees that Barnabas is getting all this attention. And they want it. They're like, man, I, they're, they're, everyone's talking about Barnabas. I, I want that attention. And they try to compete for attention. Which my mentor says this, compare and compete and live in defeat. And that's what you see from Ananias and Sapphira going into verse 2. It says, and he, this is Ananias, kept back part of the proceeds. His wife also being aware of it and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. So you got Barnabas who sells it all and then gives it all back. And then Ananias and Sapphira, they sell it, but they only give some and they keep some for themselves. Now I've read this scripture a bunch of times and many times I'm like, oh, was this sin that they kept some back? And, and, and I've always assumed that, but the reality is their, their big mess up wasn't that they kept it back. That's okay if they wanted to do that, but they were trying to perceive that they gave it all. They wanted everyone to think that they gave it all, which comes to my first real point here is that we need to beware the danger of deception. We need to beware of the danger of deception because I think it happens even in our culture today that where we try to deceive others of who we really are. I mean, Jesus, do you know Jesus preached about this? He, I mean, to the Pharisees. He said to the Pharisees, woe is you who clean the outside of the, club, of the cup, who clean the outside of the dish, but inside, inside who you really are is filled with wickedness and selfishness. Sin is a big deal. Verse 3, Peter says to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the who? Oh, come on, say it out loud. Lie to who? And keep back part of the price of the land for yourself. The biggest lesson here is this, really simple. You can't fool God. You can't. You can fool your friends. You can fool your coworkers. You can fool your boss. You can fool your small group. You can fool your small group leaders. You can fool a pastor. You can fool some relatives. And unfortunately, I've seen where people get so good at deception that they can even fool their spouse. But you can't fool God. You can't. 
He knows. You can't fool him. The question that I have, though, is why would we want to? Like, why would we want to, to try to fool God? See, when we do that, when we care more about what others think and perceive of us, what we're doing is we're elevating others where the place where God's supposed to be. Now, when we care so much about the thoughts of what people see on the outside of us, what we're doing is we're really fearing man versus fearing God. See, fearing God is when you have this holy reverence of who he is, how holy he is, how worthy he is. And to fear man is to take someone, something, even yourself, and put it in the place where God ought to be. We need to beware the danger of deception. And I say this very strongly because I grew up in the church. I've seen deception. I've seen growing up where people will try to, try, try, try to show their Christianity by, by attendance. We'll try to validate who we are in Christ by showing up every Sunday, by going to small group, by going to all the church events. How do I know this is a real issue? The, the two number one days of attendance in the church is what? Easter and Christmas, as if some people are trying to validate who they are in Christ by showing up. I've seen where people try to validate their Christianity by how they speak, that they will learn Christianese. Y'all know what I'm talking about? When some little kid falls or something happens and you say what? Oh, bless your heart, right? I never knew what bless your heart meant. I was like, did my heart sneeze or something? I didn't know. And we'll learn all these Christianese and the things that Christians supposed to say. Or we'll learn concepts of God, but not know scripture. Or we'll know scripture, but not know God. I've seen where people try to validate your Christianity by serving your way for a good perception. They'll, they'll put on a front that if I can just serve and continually, you know, maybe I'll give to charity. Maybe I'll even put in the offering bucket. I used to think as a young kid, the more I sinned, the more money I had to put in the bucket and maybe Jesus will forgive me. But I, I wonder how many of us try to validate by doing all these things. And I'm not, all these things are not bad, but when you're done with the wrong motive, you miss a relationship with the Lord. I mean, we see this in Matthew chapter 7. It literally says that people will come up to God and say, hey, haven't I prophesied in your name? Haven't I healed and done miracles and wonders in your name? Haven't I cast out demons in your name? And God will reply, depart from me, I never knew you. You have to beware that I know many of us are, have, have put up a guard so that we don't be, are not deceived from other people, but we need to be careful that we are not deceiving others of who we really are. Verse three says, or verse uh, four, Peter continues and says, while it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own control? I love that Peter is saying, hey, you, you have control here. Like this was not an accident. You had every ability to obey God. And, and, and he says, why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to who? 
Again, you can't fool God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. Now, if I can just be vulnerable for like two seconds. When I first read this, I was like, yo, God, are are you kind of overdoing it here? Like, I get he lied, but for real, drop dead like that? Man, I better not lie ever, you know? But I'm like, isn't that such a harsh punishment? Have you guys ever asked that question? Like, man, this is pretty severe, God. He lied. He didn't give all. You know, he gave some. He gave, but, but because he lied dead like that? I don't know if you've asked that question. I have. But the reality is when we ask that question, it's because we have a human center mindset. See, sin is a big deal, but most importantly, sin is a big deal to God. It's not a casual matter for him. See, because if you realize that sin separates you from God, that's why it's a big deal. He doesn't want to be separated from you. And he wants to protect his church. But the reality is, if you sin, if someone sins against you or whatever, you're not going to say, oh, you're deserving of death. But we have to realize the context of who we're sinning against. See, if I I sin or if you sin against this table, okay, you're not guilty, all right? The table's not going to come to life and say, you're guilty, you sinned against me. No, that's not going to happen. You sin against man, you're guilty. But if you sin against a holy and infinite God, you are infinitely guilty guilty. That's the weight of sin. But here's the good news, that if sin is a big deal to God, then salvation should be a big deal to us. That if sin is a big deal to God, then what he did by substituting his very only son should be a big deal to us. That if sin is a big deal to God, then his redemption, his redemption, his redemptive nature to save us from an eternal damnation should be a big deal to us. That if sin is a big deal to God, that his grace and his mercy should be a big deal to us. Here's the reality. You can't fully understand what Jesus did on the cross if you don't fully understand the weight of your sin. You can't. You can't fully understand the, the sacrifice and then unless you fully understand the weight of your sin. And in verses 7 through 10, we see the same thing happen with Sapphira, his wife. She had an opportunity to confess. She didn't. She lied. And boom, dropped dead. Now, what was intriguing to me of this whole story was verse 11, where it says this, so great fear came upon all the church. I thought it was interesting that the writers didn't say or didn't happen that all fear came upon the entire city. It came upon all the church. To me, that was God sending a warning sign that, hey, all these great things are happening. But you better beware the danger of deception. Beware the dangers of your sin. Like this was a warning sign because I'm sure they're like, oh, this could never happen to me. And God is saying, no, no, no. This could happen to anybody if you allow Satan to fill your heart. And so you need to guard your heart. 
See, God hates sin, but there's more to it. Because it would be unfair of me to just talk about the wrath of God when it comes to sin and not talk about his heart. Here's so, if there's one thing that I really get, hope you get today, is that sin breaks the heart of God. Really simply. This changed my whole perspective on sin. Is that sin breaks the heart of God. I mean, I put it in a context of relationship. I think my wife is back there, right? If I were to sin against my wife, she'd probably be hurt, probably angry, whatever. If I were to sin that same thing over and over and over again to my wife, one of two things would happen. You know what would happen? One, she might become numb to me sinning against her. She might get used to it and just say, oh, well, I guess it's just part of marriage. Or two, she'll say, man, forget this. I don't have to deal with this. And she, she leaves and quits. Now, take that same scenario and put it in the context of a relationship with the Lord. I don't think that God gets numb to your sin. I truly believe that every time you sin, he feels the weight. He feels the blow. He feels it's the same magnitude over and over and over again. And it doesn't lessen for him. It does, he doesn't get used to it. So that's, he doesn't get used to it. But the second thing, God doesn't forsake you or leave you. And so in the context of our sin and relationship with him, God continues to get his heart broken every time in the same magnitude over and over and over until you repent and quit the cycle. That's the commitment he's made to us. Sin breaks the heart of God. Let me show you kind of with an illustration. Matt, you have a little vase here for me. Did you make it? Oh, you bought it? <laughs> okay. It's a vase that Matt just let me hold. Thank you, Matt. Uh, I like you're my assistant coming up for a magic trick. Now, um, say Matt or you guys gave me this vase to hold. And you say, hey, chocolate bear, this vase is very valuable. Okay? It's very valuable. I'm like, how? I'm like, financially, well, it's worth a lot, but more it's, it's sentimental. Okay? And you're like, you're like, my great-great-grandmother or great-great-grandfather handed me hand this down generation to generation. And you're like, it's so valuable, so be careful with it. And I'm like, oh, okay, you know what? Let me, let me give this back. And what if I'm like, you're like, hey, it's so valuable, but, but just be careful with it. And I accidentally drop it. Oops. My bad. I am so sorry. I'm, dude, seriously, I am so sorry. Will you, will you forgive me? Would y'all forgive me? I accidentally do it. Yes? I hope so, right? Y'all should know this. Golly, seven times, 70 times, right? If I, if I accidentally did it, you'd be like, oh, it's okay, Chocolate Bear. I know you didn't mean to do it. It is okay. You know, it was sentimental. Hey, I mean, it happens. But what if, Chocolate Bear is crazy. What if you had a second one? But this time you're like, hey, for real, last time you broke it. And it was very valuable. It's very sentimental. And you broke it on accident. This time, please be very, very careful. This is the last of its kind. 
Financially, yes, it's valuable, but sentimental. Now, I, I don't have anything else that goes, you know, talks about my lineage. And what if instead of accidentally breaking it, I look you in the face and I break it? What response do you have now? You're saying, are you serious? You knew the value. You knew it was valuable to me and you on purposely did it? Guys, when we know that our father's heart breaks every time we sin, it's to take it and look him in the face and constantly throw it on the ground, breaking it, knowing that it's going to shatter. Sin breaks the heart of God, so we need to be broken for our sin. We need to be broken for our sin. First John 1 says this, starting in verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We say that we have not sinned. We make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Church, we need to be broken for our sin. Let me depict the Father's heart just a little bit better for you. You know, I have a son. I have three kids, but I have a son, my oldest. He's three years old. His name is Keikoa. And uh, Keikoa is becoming a little bit independent lately. Almost too independent. I'm like, man, you're like a little man. And uh, not too long ago, Hannah, my wife, she, uh, she left the house, either go grocery shopping or whatever. And she put me on daddy duty. Y'all know what daddy duty is? Y'all listen to see if they mess up. You know, just I'm watching TV and I hear someone yell, hey, you okay? You know, that's daddy duty. That or if it's silent, you're like, oh, they're up to something. So this particular day, it's me and my son. And I'm like, man, it's been kind of quiet. Where, I, I haven't heard much from Keikoa. And so I start looking for him. Like, Keikoa, where are you? Not in the kitchen. I go to the nursery. Keikoa, are you in here? Not there. Keikoa, are you in your room? Not in his room. I'm like, well, maybe he is in my room, but Keikoa knows we've taught him, hey, not to go into mommy and daddy's room unless we're with him. So I go into Keikoa's room, or our bedroom, and I'm like, Keikoa, are you in here? Are you hiding? He's not in there, but I look and I see my bathroom door. My bathroom door is closed, and it never is ever closed. My kids know not to go into the bathroom without, our bathroom without mommy and daddy because there's this stuff there. I don't want them to get hurt. And so I, I, I walk to, to, to my bathroom door and I open it up. And in there is my son, Keikoa. He's little. And in his hands, he has this. It's a straight razor, what I use to trim my beard up. My son is holding this straight razor 
He looks up at me, he's not saying much, and then he looks down. And when I look down at his hands, I see the cuts that he accidentally cut himself with with this razor. But as I look at him again, he looks up at me and I looks down. I see the blood coming out of his hands from the, from the cuts from this razor. And he looks up at me and he puts his hands and he, he raises them up to me. And I'll tell you in that moment, church, yeah, I was a little upset because I was like, man, son, I told you not to come in here. But more than being upset, I was so broken because of what my son was going through. See, I realized in that moment that he had no idea the pain and the, the agony that he was causing himself. And I think about the Lord that when he sees us sinning, he's looking down and I say, no, don't do it. You don't know what you're doing. That your sin is leading you to destruction. That your sin is leading you to damage. And I did what I could only do in that moment. I just grabbed my son. I just held him. I held him tightly. I want to just let son, I love you. I love you. I know you're hurting, but I love you. And I truly believe that today there's someone in here that you've been hurting because of your sin. That you don't realize the damage that is going on in your eternal life. And you think it's just affecting you, but it's truly breaking the Father's heart every 